Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In 1986, a retired naval officer appeared on David Letterman's late-night talk show. So imagine it for a moment. You've got a very straight-laced Navy type sitting in this comfy chair next to Letterman's desk. And Letterman is there with his old-time microphone on the desk, and he's poking fun at the officer. I'm guessing that whatever your mental image is right now, it may be a little off. First of all, the officer was almost 80. The person had been a pioneer with a piece of equipment that even in 1986 was still pretty exotic. And she was a woman. And you worked on the original computer in this country, right? I was very fortunate. The Navy owed me to the first big computer in the United States, mm-hmm. Mark I at Harvard. It was called Mark I at Harvard? Mm-hmm. Now, in those days, the thing was... 51 feet long, 8 feet high, and 8 feet deep. And, and that was the pocket model. <laughs> Grace Hopper was born on December 9th, 1906. She would have turned 111 this year. And somewhat late in life, she decided she had to be in the military. So you were older than most of the other uh, enlistees or recruits? I just barely got in. I was 37. 37. Now, what what interested you about going into the Navy at 37? Well, World War II to begin with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to have been one of the hardest things to tell the people in this country. There was a time when everybody in this country all did one thing together. In more than 40 years in the Navy, Hopper was part of a vanguard of computer pioneers, people who made the technology that we live with now possible. Now, I know nothing about computers, and you know everything about computers. You're, they've called you... Not everything, all I can. Yeah, but is there anybody who would know more? Oh, I expect some of these good youngsters coming along know more. But you're known as the queen of software. Is that right? More or less. You hear the laugh there because the audience thought that software was kind of a strange and funny word. Letterman said it made him think of Tupperware, which goes to show how much the world has changed. Kurt Beyer quite literally wrote the book on Grace Hopper, whose story is amazing and sad and triumphant, kind of all mixed together. He's a lecturer at the Haas School of Business at the University of California at Berkeley. Kurt, welcome. Oh, good to be here. So if someone is not in tech and Grace Hopper is this really important computer programmer, why should an ordinary person care about that? Well, I'm sure people have heard of Steve Jobs and Bill Mm -hmm. Gates and some of the newer crowd, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Um, All of those people's careers, livelihoods, and fortunes are based on the innovations of Grace Hopper. So without Grace Hopper, there are is no layer of software computer scientists who build large billion-dollar companies. Hmm. Um, Grace Hopper talked on uh, David Letterman about her decision to join the military. Talk a little bit about how December 7th, 1941, uh, the day that Pearl Harbor was bombed, how did that day change her life? It's actually where I start the book because... From studying lots of different technological innovations, oftentimes it's a crisis Mm -hmm. which causes a society's resources to shift in a new direction. And not only the society's resources, but if you think back to our own experiences with 9-11, oftentimes there's a lot of personal soul-searching after the, the crisis or event as well. So Hopper was living a somewhat ordinary life. She was a... uh, Uh, Ph.D. in mathematics, uh, professor at Vassar. She was married. um, And within six months after Pearl Harbor, uh, she had left her husband, quit her job, and was trying to get into the Navy. Hmm. Um, But it was not, we should say, 
easy for her to get in, right? Well, at that time, there were no women who were officers. So her first year of trying to get in, she was unsuccessful until Roosevelt created the WAVES program so that uh, women could participate in the Hmm. war effort Hmm. as officers. There's a picture in your book of the 10 people, she was in the Navy, of the 10 people in sort of her crew who were working on this very early computer, the Mark I. It's nine men and Grace. Um, And you say, like, her commander, the person in charge of this whole team, was not happy at all that a woman had been um, put as sort of the second person in charge in his command. That's right. Howard Aiken was the uh, designer of the Mark I. And because he was not receiving uh, much support from the Harvard administration uh, for his uh, invention, he decided to start working with uh, the United States Navy. Hmm. And so even though the Mark I was based in a Harvard building, it was funded and staffed by the U.S. Navy. Now, because he made that decision, the U.S. Navy then was involved in sending the personnel who Mm -hmm. would be working on the Mark Mm -hmm. I. Uh, And because women were now officers, uh, and Grace Hopper was a mathematical expert, Mm -hmm. uh, she was assigned to the Harvard Mark I, and because of the rank structure, she was number two in command. Mm -hmm. So initially, Aiken uh, was not pleased with this, but he came to very quickly realize that Hopper was indispensable. Mm. And not only was it rare um, in the 1940s to find people with PhDs in math, I'm guessing it was incredibly rare to find women with PhDs in math, which Grace Hopper had. So the one thing that really struck me when I was doing my research, I I had the assumption, like many people do, that women's rights and and the progress of women within uh, society is constantly progressing and improving year after year. It's linear in some sense, right? It's not only linear, it's sinusoidal, right? So we actually had more... Now you're getting technical. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We had more women with graduate degrees in mathematics in the 20s than we did in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and we don't see those numbers breached again until the 1980s. And then there's been a staggering fall off since then. Okay, so she was maybe in a time where it was not as uncommon as you might think then to run into a woman with a PhD in math. She had this window of opportunity that she was kind of born and raised into, and that window actually shifted again against women in those types of fields in the 50s and early 60s, and then again in the 90s and 2000s. And for the sort of non-computer programmer, what was Grace Hopper brought in to do? And I should say, this computer, just as like Letterman talked about it a little bit and when he joked that, you know, this computer was the pocket model, but maybe you can give the dimensions of it, but this was huge. Like, this was a filling-the-room kind of computer. This was nothing like the laptops or desktops that people are used to now. That's that's right. Uh, so not only was the size uh, much different, but the speed, right? This is one of the fastest computing machines ever created, and it could do three additions per second. Mm-hmm. And your smartphone in your pocket can do a billion per second. Wow. So wow. that was considered revolutionary at right. the time. Mm-hmm. But the, the more important point, and this is why Hopper is so critical to the history of computing is these first computers were like any other technology ever created by mankind. That technology only did one thing. So if you design a hammer, 
it hammers nails. If you design a lawnmower, you mow lawns. You don't do anything else with it. And the Harvard Mark I was actually built to do ballistics tables and just print out all different versions of the same equation. And so it was, in essence, hardwired that way. So the great revolutionary jump that Hopper made was, well, if we layer some what we call software today or programming on top of the hardware, we generalize the hardware, and we update the software, we change the software, we can have this machine do ballistics calculations, we can have this machine do calculations around ship design, mm -hmm. we could turn it into a flight simulator, mm -hmm. and then if you think of every single app that's on your smartphone, right. every single one of those apps is a different uh, technology even though your hardware never changes. Right. So it's like a ser she's writing out a series of commands telling the computer what to do in today or tomorrow or whatever. That's right. So yeah. it literally is a technological break, right? It's, wow, we can generalize a piece of hardware and literally through programming, we can make it whatever we want it to be. How did she go about this? Because we talked about this. She had a PhD in math, not a PhD in computers. I mean, there were no, there was no such thing as computer science. Nobody knew anything about computers. But she, you know, the Navy sends her to work on this enormous computer, one of the first of its kind. There's no, like, tech support to call. How did she figure this out? I mean, like, she didn't know what she was doing, and nobody <laughs> could help her. Yeah, the way she would joke about it was, you know, she turned to the manual but realized there was no manual, so she <laughs> wrote the manual. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if and anybody did, can fact, imagine. Write the first book. Yeah, yeah exactly. She wrote a Published it in 46, and it was really the first uh, book about computers and programming that it was ever created. So she had, a, she had a learn by doing. It was the war effort. They were working 24 hours a day. Uh, she was driving her team very hard. And initially, they were doing those ballistics tables. But Washington started calling them with different other types of problems. And mm. one of the most famous ones they worked on was to figure out how to cause a, a, a ball to implode in equal directions, and she was able to solve it. And it turns out that was the equation for the atomic bomb. Whoa. Did she, like, when did she find out or did she know that she was working on the technology for the atomic bomb? Well, she was working with a, a man named John von Neumann, who was a very famous mathematician mm -hmm. at the time, um, who was consulting with the government. What she didn't know is that uh, he was consulting for the Manhattan Project. Okay. So um, at the time, she did not know this. Hmm. But but she did, uh, and you write about this, she did um, get to a point where she was, you know, working very hard. She was kind of lonely. Um, she started drinking an awful lot. Um, and actually, at one point, uh, she got arrested. That's right. So if I compare her, the career path of Howard Aiken to Grace's career path after the war. And Howard Aiken is um, the guy who's running, who Howard developed Aiken's the computer, the, is running the exactly. whole show there. Okay. Exactly. So even though he was a graduate student at, at Harvard, completing his PhD when he first got the idea for the computer, um, and then went to the Navy to receive funding for the actual project, when the war was completed, Harvard made him a full professor. Mm -hmm. And pretty much they told Grace that you know, she's only a contract worker after the war and that her contract will, will be limited because they have no permanent position for women mm -hmm. at Harvard. 
And then the Navy released her as well because right. they shut down the Waves program. So, you know, she's, you can understand in, yeah. in some respects that you're, you're 46, you're, uh, you can't do what you're meant to do, right? You mm-hmm. can't do what you've become an expert in. Mm-hmm. And this, remember, this was, this was just the beginning of this industry. So um, I think she turned to alcohol and uh, she, she actually tried to commit suicide. And it was one of her colleagues at Harvard, Edmund Berkeley, who would be a very important figure in computing also because he founded the Association of Computing Machinery, the, the Society of, of Early Computer Experts. And also he's figured out one of the, the first uses of these computers, which was for Prudential Insurance Company. Um, he's the one who I found his intervention letter in the archives, and he just mapped out this beautiful four or five page letter, which I, I have excerpts in the book about how they need her. The, mm-hmm. the, this new computing industry needs, needs her. She's their natural leader. And so she, she, even with this debilitating problem she had, if she could only work 20% a week, she was still far better at this than all of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I give him a lot of credit And I give her original Harvard team a lot of credit for not only saving Grace during that period of her life, but uh, setting her up to do the phenomenal things that come next. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller talking with Kurt Beyer, author of Grace Hopper and the Invention of the Information Age. Um, So I think we all know this image of Rosie the Riveter and that women were called into service during World War II. I just wonder how difficult it was during the 50s, even during the late 40s, to transition out of the military and then be a powerful woman in a workforce where there certainly were not nearly as many women as there had been uh, during the war effort. Yes, that's a very interesting conundrum I had to solve. How in the 1950s, when uh, kind of the, the public effort is to to help women get back into the uh, the households and uh, maybe out of public life. This is the exact time that she is uh, building a career, becoming a leader. My answer to that is oftentimes in the early phases of a new technology or, or a new product or service, people who are the pioneers tend to be on the margins, tend to be the outsiders. Mm-hmm. So think about a male from a prominent family in the 1950s who goes to an Ivy League school, he would not announce to his family that there's this very unique, strange technology that right. just a handful of people are interested in. I think I'm going to work in that field. Right, right. Go to today and, of course, you know, someone who goes to an Ivy League, that we, we have so many of them right, here in the right. Bay Area now. Right. But during the 50s, this was still a, a, a fringe technology. Right, so right. I have this wonderful picture in the book. I think it's from 1956. And there's Hopper there, and she's working with three young people. One's African-American, one's Indian, and one's white. And this is the mid-50s. Mm-hmm. So many of the pioneers of this period in the computing age uh, were women in particular. Do you think... You must have thought about this, but if Grace Hopper could sort of see the reach of computers today, 
What do you think would surprise her and what do you think would not surprise her? So when when the, she pulled uh, different groups together to create the universal language of COBOL, this was in 1959, 1960, um, many programmers thought the the language would never make it because it was almost too simple to use. And Hopper's point was exactly, right, right. <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> right, right, right. And at the time, remember, the computers were very expensive. They were in air-conditioned rooms. Mm-hmm. And then generally, they were used only by large companies and government agencies. Mm-hmm. So it, the way she designed COBOL and used her influence to have that become the standard um, she had this notion of democratization. Uh, I think she'd be surprised by two things. One, 90% of all financial transactions today are COBOL. Wow. So that would That's shock the impact. her, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. This is a language that she created in the late 50s, <laughs> right. early 60s. 80% of all active code in the world is COBOL. Wow. So, that's how dominant COBOL became. Mm-hmm. And it's every time we use a credit card, every mm-hmm. time we use an ATM machine, it's a COBOL program running behind it. So I think that would shock her and maybe disappoint her as well, right? It's like, wow, you couldn't have improved on this? In, in, <laughs> so this what I came up with this in, what did you say, 1959? <laughs> I think she'd be thrilled, though, that each of us has a computer in our pocket now. Kurt Beyer is the author of Grace Hopper and the Invention of the Information Age. He's also a lecturer at the Haas School of Business at the University of California, Berkeley. Kurt, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. We've got the full interview that Grace Hopper did with David Letterman, which we played clips from at the beginning of this segment. That's at facebook.com slash innovationhubradio. And one more note about computer science before we leave the topic. A few weeks ago, we aired a segment about how useful a liberal arts education can be. And in that interview, author George Anders said this. If you think about it, engineering is not about working through ambiguity. Engineering is about getting the right answer. One of our listeners who teaches computer science at a university wanted to lodge a complaint. What? He wrote. This is the kind of gross misconception I often find with those from the liberal arts. Their picture of the sciences is for the most part clueless. Are they kidding? In my nearly 50 years in the sciences, I've only ever had high uncertainty problems. Science and engineering is all about dealing with ambiguity, uncertainty, and the unforeseen. Feel free to write to us whether you're feeling certain, uncertain, or somewhere in between. Our email is innovationhub at wgbh.org. 